I'm starting it late, so I don't know how this is all going to work. So you might be able to blame me if the sausages are burnt. But in any case, I am going to run this particular topic over, over two weeks because there's far too much in it to do in just one day anyhow. But as you know, we've been focusing on faith over the last few weeks and I have mentioned that I want to talk about faith for as long as it takes me to exhaust the topic. And I suspect this might take us a few months see, we keep hearing this word, faith. And you'll hear from um, pulpits all over the country, you've got to have faith. But you know, sometimes we're not exactly certain what faith is all about. And uh, we spend a little bit of time talking about the fundamental importance of covenant to our faith. If we understand the covenant nature of God then we can begin to get a handle on what faith is all about. And today I want to speak particularly about prosperity in the New Covenant. But before I do that, a quick recap on, on where we've been over the last uh, two or three Sundays. First, what's in the New Covenant? There are five components, if you like, of the, of the New Covenant. The first is that God's law is written on our hearts under the, under the Old Testament law. It was actually sin that was written on the hearts of the people. But under the New Covenant, it's not sin that's written on our hearts, but it's God's law that is written on our hearts. Second, the second element of the New Covenant is that we have a relationship with God. So there's a relationship between God and all who are called. No qualifications. It's not just the Jews. It covers Jews and Gentiles, which is actually everybody. And remember, when Jesus died on the cross, the, the veil or the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, it was torn in two, uh, symbolising the fact that we now have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, His Son, we don't have to go to God through the high priest because Jesus is our high priest. Third, under the new covenant, we acquire knowledge of the Lord and that knowledge is guaranteed to us because the Holy Spirit lives within us and in the Holy Spirit there is truth and it's the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth. Fourth, there is forgiveness of sin. Your sin yesterday, today and tomorrow has already been dealt with at the cross. And it's very hard for us to get our heads around the notion that the sin that we haven't yet committed has already been forgiven. It's very hard for us to get our heads around that idea. And uh, in some circles... We still think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace. We're not. The Bible actually says we once were sinners. God sees us as saints now. This is not, by the way, an invitation to sin Monday through Saturday. Not at all. Paul actually warned us of that. He said, far be it for me to condone, condone your sin. You see, we shouldn't even have a sin consciousness 
as partakers of the new covenant because we are so filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we do sin, it's already forgiven. If that wasn't true, then Jesus would have had to go to the cross more than once. But he went to the cross once only and he will never go to the cross again. And fifth, we have an eternal inheritance. And that inheritance, yes, it actually applies to the afterlife. After we die, we live eternally with our Lord. But also that inheritance begins now. And that's why I want to talk about prosperity. Next thing, what is faith? Faith can be thought of as firm persuasion based on relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son, not based on his promises. We only actually believe the promises because of our relationship with God. It's all about relationship. And that relationship produces a full acknowledgement in us of God's revelation or truth. Acknowledgement and confidence in his promises. Our faith is not in the promises, but it is in God himself through Jesus. We believe his promises because our faith is in him. Our faith is not a work, right? I keep saying to people everywhere I go, Christianity is not a huff and puff religion. Seriously. You know, I've often said to people in prayer meetings, the reason why I jump up and down and get excited is not because I'm trying to get God to do something, it's because I'm excited about what he's doing, what he has done and what he will yet do. We can shout and holler and jump and run all we like and it will not get God to do anything because he's already done it all through Jesus Christ. So our faith is not a work by which we lay hold of the promises, but it is laying everything aside and looking totally to Christ. It's laying everything aside. And that was one of the themes that ran through the Kickstart Conference 2018. Lay it all aside. Bring it all to Jesus and then see what he will do. Well... I'm glad I've decided to spread this message over two weeks. It might end up going longer than that. Yet, we don't know. But I want to talk a little bit about prosperity because um, prosperity is something which is taught pretty regularly in Pentecostal churches. And uh, it's particularly something that has come to the fore since about the middle of the last century. It was around about the 1950s particularly in the United States, where the Assemblies of God's Church really started to grow. It's interesting because Assemblies of God Church attracted a lot of black people in the United States. They were from very poor backgrounds, and I've heard an interview in which a Christian historian, he was a Christian historian, he argued that it was through the prosperity teaching of the Assemblies of God Church in the United States that so many black families lifted themselves out of poverty. They went through that, that lower social economic class into the middle class. 
And I've also read research that the same thing is now happening in Africa, where Pentecostal churches are growing like crazy, absolutely growing like crazy. And because of the teaching of Pentecostalism, there's evidence there that that teaching is associated with high rates of economic growth and development. Why is that? I don't actually believe that in Pentecostalism... Whoops, sorry, I'm, I'm tired here. I've got an umbilical, umbilical, whatever one of those things is. I'm just trying to do a lot of things here, you see. But that's okay. That's okay. One day, we're going to be just like they were at the Kickstart conference. <laughs> and there'll be like a thousand people making sure that everything works properly. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, that's all good. That's all good. We'll do whatever God wants to do with us. But um, now I've totally lost my thread. Dave, where was I? Uh, I know you uh, will... Oh, yeah, in Africa. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I I actually wrote about this in a a publication which you can download from the internet. I'll I'll give you the URL later if you really want to read it. But, yeah, what I was saying... I'm so sorry I lost my thread. That's um, almost unforgivable, but everything's forgivable, right? It is very, very easy to take prosperity as something which is a a selfish thing. It's really easy for us to treat God like a supermarket, right? The currency is prayer, and the more we shout and holler, the more currency we have, and it's like we go through a supermarket and we fill the trolley up with all the goodies, okay? That's not the intention. I don't believe that that's the provision in the new covenant at all. The prosperity provision comes primarily through aspiration, an aspiration to be lifted out of the place where we are now to a higher level. And that's what's happening in Africa. And that's what happened with black America in the 1950s and through the 1960s and into the 1970s. And if you have a look at those big television ministries these days, you'll see a lot of black people well-dressed in church because they've come up out of poverty and they're now in the middle class and in the upper echelons of economic society. Now, I want to start out, in a sense, with a, with a negative, and if you've read that, that slide up there, that's not actually saying anything about prosperity. It's saying what we're not under. This is from Galatians 3, verses 13 to 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, essentially, that's a reference to uh, the second half of Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 goes through all the curses that will come upon Israel if they don't obey every command of God. There was about 613 commands, right? If they failed to keep any of those commands, then all these curses would come upon them. Jesus Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We're not subject to the curse of the law because of our sinful nature anymore and uh, the word redeem literally means bought back so a price was paid for our redemption and of course we know that that price was his death on the cross and more than that it was his desertion by his heavenly father because God actually 
turned his back on Jesus on the cross. Remember, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God saw all our sin on Jesus and God cannot stand sin. So God turned his back on Jesus. At that moment, Jesus was all alone carrying the sin of the world, past, present and future. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And here's the reason, that the blessing of Abraham that Jeanette talked about this morning in the communion message might come upon the Gentiles, that's us in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now what I want to do is to take us to Abraham's blessing. So the source of prosperity is the blessing of Abraham. All right? That passage from Galatians that I read just a moment ago tells us that we were redeemed from the curse of the law so that we could enter into the blessing of Abraham. Now there are three elements of the blessing of Abraham. But let me read first what the blessing is. I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Somewhere in Genesis. I don't think I've actually put the actual reference there, but that's okay. Now, this is what it says here. Now, in Haran, the Lord had said to Abram, go away from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you abundantly and make your name great, exalted, distinguished, and you shall be a blessing, a source of great good to others. And I will bless, do good for, benefit those who bless you, and I will curse, that is, subject to my wrath and judgment, the one who curses, despises, dishonours, has contempt for you, and in you, all the families or nations of the earth will be blessed. Now that blessing can be broken up into three different areas. One is nation. So we see, obviously, that was outworked in the nation of Israel. But in New Testament times, it's also outworked in the nation of believers in Jesus Christ. Right? We're all part of the body of Christ. In that sense, we are a biblical nation. Second, the blessing of Abraham came in the form of land, the so-called promised land. And that's what I want to focus on today. And third, there was this element of seed. So let me focus on the importance of land because I believe that this is actually where the new covenant blessing of prosperity is based. So let me have a look at this. Now the thing about land, of course, is that it is productive. So our prosperity actually depends upon productive land. And there are many, many scriptures, particularly in Proverbs and some in the Psalms, that relate to the way in which God will bless us through productive land. 
Now, essentially, in modern times, this is a reference to work. God tends not to just trickle down the bitcoins from the clouds. All right? The blessing actually comes as we apply what he's gifted us with in the context of work to produce something which will cause other people to flourish. Proverbs 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. That sounds like prosperity to me. The Lord will bless the work of your hand. That's part of the Mosaic covenant. And uh, I'll come back to the obedience thing in a minute. And third, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. You shall eat the fruit of your labour of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So land is productive. In, in modern day times, we can think of that as all of the productive resources that we have at our disposal. Now for us, individually, it's going to be what God has gifted us with. And he fully intends us to use what he has gifted us with in a productive way. If you want to have bread, work your land. Don't sit back and expect someone to leave a Mercedes-Benz in your driveway. I know that happens sometimes. I'm waiting for it to happen to me. Right? It does happen sometimes, but not generally. Right? I let, I'm not discounting that kind of miracle, but on the whole, someone isn't going to come past your house tomorrow and shove a cheque in your letterbox that will pay out your mortgage. Sorry to say. I can tell you how much our mortgage is, if, you, you know, if you're thinking about doing that. <laughs> but it does happen. I don't want to discount that kind of miracle at all. It does happen. But normally, no. Our prosperity comes as we apply what God has placed in us in a productive context. It doesn't always work perfectly, of course. Secondly, workers deserve their pay. And uh, one of the unfortunate things about our society today is that it doesn't pay enough attention to God's principles. For example, look at this. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now, we're not all farmers. In, in modern days, of course, we work in many different types of, um, of avenues. We, some, some of us work indoors. My, my day job keeps me inside most of the day in air-conditioned comfort. Uh, you know, Dave's an engineer, so he, he's working. I don't know what he does, really, but like, it's all secret, and if he tells me, he'd have to kill me. I, I, isn't that how it works? Industrial, industrial secrets and all that. But, you know, we're, we're in different, different environments. Michelle works at uh, Vision Media. So m most of us are in different environments. We're not actually farmers, but here's a principle. Who should partake first? It's the person who does the work. Now, there's a lot of bosses who need to hear that. Seriously. Our economy isn't based on that principle. But it's a principle of God's. Here's another one. 1 Timothy 5, 18. And, and I should actually read further, but I, I won't. But... For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. That's in Deuteronomy. That's part of the Old Testament law. And the labourer is worthy of his wages. See, there shouldn't be exploitation. 
of folk who work. Sometimes it runs the other way too, of course, I know that. But you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Now, that doesn't mean that you should allow your employees to pilfer, but it's really actually talking about an ample reward for the work that people do. So our prosperity is not based on our hard work alone. We have to actually be recompensed appropriately for it. So if you like, there are two sides to this coin. We can work jolly hard, but on the other hand be exploited so that we're not actually paid what we're worthy of. That's why this prosperity thing is not just individual. It's societal as well. In fact, I'm going to Switzerland later in the year to a Christian economics forum and we're working on a white paper. Now, I don't know whether the world will necessarily take any notice of it. But at least we can provide something that the body of Christ can use as much as it can to influence policy and the behaviour of government and businesses in economies around the globe. You see, we've got to try. We can't just sit back apathetically and do nothing. Okay, a couple of foundational principles. This is from the Old Testament, the first one, and I've got one from the New Testament as well, just to keep it nicely balanced. But um, there's a really important principle in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now in this chapter, God again is talking about what he's going to do for Israel if they obey all his commands. But, you know, one of the things he actually says, you know, when you get to that promised land and everything's going well for you, don't forget I'm the one who made it possible. Because he says this, don't forget the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, it's not by our might and by our strength and by our intelligence because they all come from God in the first place. It is God who has given us the power or the strength to get wealth. And secondly, here's another important principle. Let him who stole no longer, this is a reference to people who are not yet Christians, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labour, working with his hands what is good. So do something good with your time and your energy and your talents as a Christian. And uh, we're not all in jobs that we actually like, but we can nevertheless treat our job as an altar on which we worship our God using our time, our energy and our talents. But you see, we've got to be careful with this foundational principle because it's not actually for our individual benefits, certainly not alone. Because if we read the rest of those verses, this is what we see. There's a purpose for prosperity. The reason why God gave, our, uh, gave us the power to get wealth is so that he may establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That's from the uh, King James Version. 
I've put in parentheses a couple of words there to bring out the actual meaning of the original Hebrew, as it is being established this day. So at that time, God was establishing the covenant he had with Abraham, and he's still doing it with us today. So the reason why God gives us the power to get wealth is to establish his covenant, because his covenant included the blessing of prosperity. Abraham was actually one of the most prosperous men of his time. But looking at the Ephesians scripture, the second half of that is that he may have something to give him who has need. So why do I prosper? Not just for me, God's okay with me having some nice stuff, but I prosper because God's establishing his covenant and because I need to be aware that there are others who are in need and it's my responsibility to provide for those needs. So God is our source. Work is for Christians. And the reason why we work is to establish the blessing of the covenant that he first made with Abraham. We must also have compassion for those who are not as well off as we are. And there are many, many reasons why not everybody in our society, not even everybody in our church, even in this congregation, is as well off as others. You might be asking the question, so, if the new covenant provides for my prosperity, if I'm not a billionaire, does that mean I've failed? Right, eh? The richest person in the world is worth about $75 billion. So, has he succeeded? That's Bill Gates, by the way. Has he succeeded because he's a multi-billionaire and have most of us failed because we're not? Well, I actually want to address this issue next week 